Welcome to Community Christian Church. My name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're so glad you're with us at our Ashley Park campus today or that you're joining us online. And we hope uh, you'll come out and join us in person one day. Uh, we've been in this series. If you haven't been with us, uh, you already just saw the title package, which says Better, Th uh, Better Thoughts. And uh, that's a great title, but it doesn't just give you exactly what we're talking about. What we've been talking about is the idea that when we all started out in life, we had this thought that occurred to us at some point that I can make a difference, that I want my life to count, that I can be distinct and that I'm different from other people and that I can make a unique difference in this world. And we had ideas about what we'd be. None of us ever thought we'd wind up the same, but then you get older and all the 20-year-olds look alike and all the 30-year-olds look alike and we all just wind up being alike and our experiences become similar. And the only thing different about this Christmas and last Christmas is going to be that you're older. And it just becomes this thing that over time our culture has a way of pushing us all into the same mold. So we think alike and we do alike and we believe alike. But we still have this desire to be unique and be distinctive. And the problem is we think that the only way in our culture says that you ought to be distinct, but the problem isn't the mold you've got pushed in. The problem is the people you're doing it with or where you're doing it at. So what you need to do to break out and be unique is you need to get rid of the who you're with and get another who. And Instead of doing that, go do something else. Instead of being in that city, go be in another place. And the problem is, once you try that, or even you think about it, you, you meet some people that have actually done it. And they wind up in the same mold, different city, different marriage, same problems. In fact, some of you that are with us today, you're in church, and one of the reasons you're back is you've tried this once or, or twice, and and you would say to people that are thinking about it, hey, man, that doesn't work because everywhere you go, you go. You're, you're there and you wind up back at the same place you were before. So we've been looking at something that was written by a follower of Jesus, a, a guy named Paul. And this one little section we've been looking at is kind of like our overriding verse of this whole series. And he says to us in this, hey, you know, just so you know, God doesn't want everybody to be in the same mold. God did make you unique, and God does have something He wants you to do. In fact, God wants you to be different. He wants you to have a better life than what our culture pushes everybody into. He wants you to be different. But you don't get that by changing the who and the what. You have to get there a different way. So let me show you this verse that we've looked at for now two weeks, and it's our overriding verse. Here's what he says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So there is a pattern of this world that we've all sort of seen. Basically, here's what I think, here's what I believe, and so I do this because here's what I think, and here's what I believe. And I made that decision because here's what I think, and here's what I believe. There's this pattern that we all sort of wind up in the same kind of place with our assumptions about life. He says, so, you know, I have the relationships I have, and you have ones that look similar because here's what I think, and here's what I believe. There's this pattern in our world. The way that you're going to change that is not by changing the people or the things that you're doing, he says. Instead, you have to be transformed by renewing your mind. Now, this is what Jesus taught, that you, what you believe affects what you do, and what you do leads to the outcomes of your life. And that's not new. You, you know that. But we tend to forget it. We tend to forget that what I believe causes what I do, and what I do leads to the outcome because what we really get frustrated with is it's the outcomes. 
It's the outcome of your marriage that you don't like. It's the outcome of your financial decisions you don't like. It's the outcome of your relational world, of your work world that you don't like. And so it's the outcomes that frustrate us. And so we think, hey, to change the outcome, I've got to change the decision. And so I make a different decision. I get a different job. I get a different place. I get a different person. And it all is going to change. But what we've been trying to get everybody to focus on is if you don't change what you were thinking just by making a different decision, your thoughts will eventually lead you right back to where you were. That really to be changed in life, what Jesus taught, what Paul is saying is, you have to have better thoughts. You have to change and get better thoughts. Because every decision that I make flows out of a thought that I have, and that leads to an outcome in my life. And to get better outcomes, I have to work on, where do I change my thoughts? Therefore, I've got to get the kind of thoughts that would lead to a better kind of life. Now, for followers of Christ, which most of us are joining in, that means that I have to start not with the question that so many people want to start with. I can't start and stop with, what would Jesus do? I have to start with, what was Jesus thinking that led to Jesus doing what he did? What is it that Jesus thought about the things that led to the places where he became the amazing person that he was? See... In this series, we've said a number of times, Jesus, though he was fully God, he was, he was a man. And we're told in the Bible that this is what Christians believe. And when Jesus came to earth, he, he didn't count his godness, if, if that's a word. He didn't count the fact of being God something he should hold on to. He emptied himself and he began to operate like you and me. And so what Jesus did that led to this amazing life, it flowed out of what did Jesus think that led to what he chose to do. And that led to the outcome of his life. And if we're going to become what Jesus wants us to be, we're going to lead the life that he has for us, a life that's, that's full of love and joy and peace and patience, the kind of life that's full of contentment with where I am in spite of the circumstances of my life and who I'm with in spite of what's going on in their relational world, I'm going to have to think better thoughts. So last week, Jason kicked us off with the first better thought, and, and, and it's a real big one. It's, it's this idea God knows what's best for me more than I know what's best for me. And so when I'm in a place that I'm debating between I want to do something, but God says do something, I have to remind myself of this big overarching church truth. God knows what's best for me. And we see Jesus do this. And in the garden, he prays to his father, hey, not my will be done, but yours be done. Even Jesus had to operate and said, hey, I want this, but God knows what's best for me more than what I know is best for me. And when you do that, it changes how you react in those situations. So I begin to submit myself to him. In fact, many of us have found the power of coming to a place in life where we get to a place where we say, I have to submit my will, my decisions to the power of this one God who cares about me. And we found that as I submit my will and my life to the power of one, that as I submit my will and my way and I say, I don't know what's best for me. He knows what's best for me. That's all that means, submitting my will and my my way to him, that as I do that, then the outcomes, the, the habits I have and the way that I reacted and the relationships I have, all those outcomes that I want were bad. They led, they all flowed out of me submitting my will and my way to him. I don't know what's best for me. God knows what's best for me. Well, that catches you up to where we are in this series. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you another really big thought. And I've always told uh, people when they ask about, you know, how do, how do you know what to, to 
to teach about and how do you teach for all the number of years in, pl in the same place. Here's, here's the way I've always thought of it. If, if you always teach out of your weakness, you'll never run out of anything to say. <laughs> and, and we're really blessed because I have lots of weaknesses. So when I talk about this one today, this is one that I have struggled with and not like way in the past. I still at times struggle with this great big thought. And I'm going to give it to you. It's a big overarching thing. And it mainly deals with our relational world. And, and when you hear this, uh, this is a principle that has led people, when they finally get it into them, they've led the most adventurous, contented light, but it takes them in a whole different way, this, this one big thought. And when I say it in just a moment, for those of you who are followers of Christ, you're going to go, oh, that, because you know this. In fact, I think most of you, because Christianity so impacted our Western world, most of you are going to know this and believe it. But it, you're going to hear it and you're going to think, I already get that, but, but we forget it. And if you're here and you struggle with church people or you struggle with Christianity, for most people that I've met, the reason you struggle with it is not because you totally disagree with everything Christianity teaches. What the problem has been is that you've met a Christian who did not keep this one principle in mind, and because they didn't keep this principle in mind, they made decisions that led to bad outcomes for you in their relationships. So here's the big overarching principle that deals with us relationally. Every person, every person you meet has immense value to God. Every person. Every person you lock eyes with, every person you go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, every person you cross paths with, every person in your family, every person at work, every person that you're crosswise with, every person in this world, every person you meet has immense value to God. Every person is someone for whom Jesus was willing to give his life for. Every person. So the question is, if every person is, is so important that God would be willing to give the life of his son for that person, how do you treat somebody that is that valuable? How do you treat someone with that much value? Because, I mean, you and I know that the way you figure out how valuable something is is you figure out what somebody would be willing to pay for it. I mean, you can't determine the value of your house by looking at Zillow. You're not going to know. The way you're going to know the value of your house is when you put it on the market. What somebody would be willing to pay for it, that's what your house is actually worth. So what's the value of a person? Well, Every person you meet, every person you lock eyes with, every person, every person God was willing to give the life of his son for, that's how much he was willing to pay. See, even though I know that, that's not the way I tend to operate. And, and I don't think it's just me. My tendency is I tend to treat people on, on, their, on their value to me. I mean, if you can do something for me, if you're my friend or if you're part of my family, if you're one of my grandkids, if you're one of, my, one of the people that can add value to my life, if you can do something for me, even if it's just to be with me and to love me and to, to pay back into me, then when there's a benefit to me, there's not much that I won't do to help you. Now, is that just me? I mean, even some of you would say, oh, I'm a loving person and I love everybody. But a part of that is, I mean... When people get crosswise with you, you don't have the same reaction you do to your child. I mean, you, you like love your child different, right? You love, you love, your, you love your spouse different, when, at least when they're nice to you. You love your friends different than that because there's a part of us that we, we tend to treat people based on their value to me, what, what it is they do to me. And even though I know that every person I meet has immense value to God, I don't tend to think about it. I tend to see them in terms of what their value is to me. And so 
If you can add something to my life, if I'm wanting you to do something for me, if you can be my friend, if you can help me in some way, uh, if you can help one of my kids, if you can do something, then I'll probably get back to you pretty quick. And if not, then, you know, I'll get to you when I get to you. You and I tend to place value on people, not on their value as we know it is to God or how God sees them. We don't, that doesn't even regularly enter our mind. The way we tend to act with people is, how's your value to me? How, how about how much do I know you? How am I relationally connected to you? What's your value to me? But it isn't just that. We also tend to value people that the people we value value. Now, I know that sounds like double talk, so let me say it again. We tend to value people based on the peop- how valuable they are to the people that we find valuable. Uh, like, for instance, this. Guys, if you're dating, you're nice to the mom of the girl you, you like. For those of you married, you're nice to your mother-in-law. Why? Because the person you value values them. I mean, in other circumstances, you might not even notice that lady. You might not even talk to that lady. You probably wouldn't remember her name. But because the girl that you value, the lady you value, the person you care about values that person, you value the person that the person you value values. You, you care about how your kids, your boss's kids are doing. You care about what's going on in your boss's life. You care about who he cares about because they're valuable to him and he's valuable to you. You know, when I, when I was a kid, I, I grew up, I had a dad that at least in that little small circle, and admittedly it's a small circle, he, he, he was a little bit of a big deal. He, uh, he owned a fairly sizable kind of a ranch and he had some cattle and people knew him and uh, so he was well known. And he had a friend who uh, just, you know, he ran in circles with other people that had cattle, so he had a good friend in Alabama uh, that was named uh, Paul Bryant. Now, when I say Paul Bryant to a lot of you, because that name doesn't mean anything to you, but when I say to you he had a friend whose name was was Bear Bryant, for some of you who are my age and maybe a little bit younger, that means something to you. For those of you who don't know who Bear Bryant was, Bear Bryant was Nick Saban before Nick Saban was Nick Saban. Uh, he, He was a big deal. But in that little circle, he was just Mr. Paul. He was, a, he was a cattle guy. Well, because my dad was sort of a big deal, when I was a kid and I would hang around in places where those cattle people hung around, uh, in general, I was just a kid. And in, in my day growing up, kids weren't like kids are now. In kids in my day, if a kid was around and adults were around, here's the way kids were treated. Hey, don't bother me. Don't talk to me. Don't get in my way. Stay out of the way. I'll, I'll get you if I need you. But when I would be around in those circles and people would find out, somebody would say to them, hey, that's, that's Charlie's son. Then grown men would come over and talk to me. And grown men would want to know how I was doing it. And even as a kid, it was sort of weird. Like, Mr. Manio, you didn't want anything to do with me. But when you find out who my dad was, well, I matter somehow. Well, that's because we value the people that people we value value. I do that. And, and you do too. So here's the question. How should we value people that our God finds so valuable? For those of us who are followers of Christ, how should I see people who are of immense value to God? What is that thought that every person I meet has immense value to my God? How should I treat somebody that has that kind of value? What if every day, what if every day front and center of my thought was, wow, God loves that person so much that he was willing to allow Jesus to come to earth and to die for him. 
Jesus thinks about that person so much that he was willing to go through all he went through for that person. Now that's different. And that might lead to different decisions in how I interact with them and how I talk with them, even when I disagree with them. If I had the front thought, not that this person has valued me or not valued me or nobody I know knows this person, I mean, how do I treat a person that I just met or I don't like or I haven't ever seen before when I have the thought of, oh, this person has immense value to my God? Let me just read a couple of things to you. Uh, these are verses that are written by another follower of Christ. His name is John and uh, John, probably most people think, was the youngest of the followers of Jesus. He certainly is the last of the original followers to be alive. And he writes a biography of Jesus that's different than the other ones because he's so close to Jesus that when Jesus is on the cross, he, he looks at John and he looks at his mom, Jesus' mom, and Jesus points at his mom and he says to John, John, treat her like your mom. When I'm gone, I want you to take care of my mom like she's your mom. And history tells us that he did. So he writes a biography about Jesus, and then he writes three letters to churches that he was a part of, and then he, he wrote one other part of the Bible that even if you're not much of a follower of Christ or know much about the Bible, you've heard of this when he wrote the, the Revelation. So John writes this. He's a close follower of Jesus near the end of his life. Here's what he says to followers of Christ about what we've talking about. He says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world, so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So here's the picture we've already been talking about. God looked at the whole world and He said, Every person there has so much value to me, I'll give up my only Son. My only Son should come to earth and give His life so that they can be drawn back to me. They can be made right with me. That whatever has kept us apart can be put away, and they can be brought back to me. And then, when John gets that clear to us, he makes his point. Dear friends, since God so loved us, and us includes your husband and your wife, and your ex-husband and your ex-wife, and it includes the kids that you get along with and the ones that you don't. It includes your parents that you've been estranged from. It includes the people you like at work and the people you don't like at work. It includes the people in your neighborhood that you can't stand, the people that are of some race that you don't like. It includes all of those people, that us. Dear friends, since God so loved us that much, we surely ought, and that little word ought is a Greek word that mainly was used in accounting, and it means a debt we owe. We surely ought to love one another. In other words, if, if God loved them so much, there's so much immense value to God, and God gave his life for me, and he gave his life for them, then it's like God saying to them, hey, if I can love them that much, you ought to love them. You, you owe it to love them. You, you ought to love them. You're so important to God, and he wants you to treat other people based on not their value to you, but on their value to him. I have a relationship, and I, I want you to value them that way. I mean, this verse is it's sort of like God calling me on the phone and say, Hey, Ed, it's God. And I go, Oh, hey, hey, God, how you, how you doing? I'm good. All the time. I'm good. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I've heard people say that. That's, uh, that's sort of funny. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, what, are you, what are you calling me for? He goes, Well, I just wanted you to know, I just wanted you to know that when you're going home today, uh, up at Home Depot, there's going to be a guy pull out in front of you. And I just want you to remember when he pulls out in front of you, he really matters to me. 
That guy I was willing to give the life of Jesus for. So before you react, before you yell, before you get off track, before you do something with your hands or do something with your voice or you get out of hand, can you just remember that guy who pulls out in front of you? He has immense value to me. Now that's different. How might, how might our interactions with other people be if, if we could remember that? What if the big overarching better thought, the life-changing thought in all of our relationships that every encounter I have with people that I've known forever and people that I meet for those 30-second little encounters where I don't even hardly look at them that I just go, here's my credit card to pay for that and thank you for delivering that. Oh, thank you for that service. And they're just somebody I'm paying for. Before I react and think, oh, I gave them money so they owe me, what if the overarching principle was even in those kind of not even relationships but in just encounter where this person that I didn't even notice their name, that I didn't even smile at, that I didn't even look at. This person has immense value to our God. He cares deeply in that. If I kept that in mind, how that would change every interaction? How would it affect our ongoing relationships? Hey, by the way, she's not just your wife. He's not just your husband. She's not just the girl you want, guys. He isn't just the guy you're dating until you find the one. These people, and they're not just your parents. These are people for whom God willingly gave up the life of his son. They have immense value to him. How should you treat someone that has that kind of value to him? How do you, how do you speak to someone that has that kind of value? It means that in those times of conflicts, in those times where you're tempted to, to say something, where when people that you're in an ongoing relationship and you know something so well and they finally get to that point and they make the mistake and they've set you up for that zinger and you're thinking, oh, since you brought that up, I'm going to bring this up. And before you say that and you put them in their place or you talk down to them or you get them off of whatever point they were trying to make in you, before you do that, you go, oh, wait a second, wait a second. This person has enormous value to my Father in heaven. Before you put them in their place, maybe you should remember that. Now, let me just be clear about a couple of things. This doesn't mean that you, you ought to like everybody. It doesn't mean that you have to have relationships with everybody. I'm certainly not saying that you become this hyper-spiritual, oh, bless you, brother, after you bless them out, or bless his heart, which we all know is some kind of cut down. It doesn't mean that you become this over-the-top spiritual person that you smile while you're seething on the inside and you're saying negative things in your head. It doesn't mean that you don't even confront things that people are doing wrong. Of course you confront things. Jesus spoke truth, but it means in speaking the truth, you're trying to say this is a person who matters to God, and one of the reasons I speak the truth is because they matter to him. Because they matter to him, I ought to love them. I love them. They matter to me. See, this just means that before I do that thing that I always do, before I do that, I, I, I just take a moment and the overarching principle was, wow, I'm in the presence of somebody for whom God gave his life. The person I sing songs and worship to, he gave his life for them. Now, as I was trying to think about how to give you an example of this and who would be the best example of this, it certainly isn't me. And I didn't really, I don't have a person that, I mean, I know some people that other people think, oh, it's perfect, but 
I know them in another way. The only person I could come up with is, is Jesus. And maybe you've read the Bible, and maybe you haven't. If you haven't, I really urge you at least read the parts that are about Jesus, those biographies. It's an amazing kind of life. But just think about this. When Jesus is nailed to the cross, there's this moment. I mean, he's already hanging on the cross. He's already in agony. He already is going to die. And in the midst of hanging on the cross, Jesus says this phrase, Father, forgive them because they're, just, they're ignorant of what they're doing. They don't know. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. And when I read that at times, if I'm really honest, if it were a friend of mine saying that and I heard them say it, I'd go, no, wait, wait a second, Jesus, I don't mean to disagree with you, but you're being God and all, but they planned it. They manipulated it. They got witnesses to lie about you. They took you to the governor and they forced it to happen. They did it. How, how can you say they didn't know what they're doing? They fully know what they're doing. And why would you ask for... Why are you even concerned about them in this moment? I mean, they don't care about you. Jesus says, hey, Father, I want you to forgive them. If, if it were me, I'd be thinking, hey, Father, I have their names. I remember their faces, and when I see you, we're going to get them. But Jesus instead, he remembers these people who are doing this to me. They have immense value to my Father in heaven. They're why I came. They matter to him. So, Father, don't count what they're doing to me against them. Would you forgive them? This is how Jesus could pray for his enemies. This is how he gets to the place of saying, this is how you do it. You remember not what they're doing to you. You remember how much valuable, how valuable they are to God. Everybody you lay eyes on is someone for whom Jesus willingly gave his life. They have that much value to him. And, and if, that, if that thought could become our thought in every relation, it, it would change our decisions at home and at work and in the places we play and everywhere we go. If that thought that, if that began to drive our decisions and how we interacted with things, things would be different. When I was little kid, and I, I think almost everybody who was my age, or maybe a little bit younger, there was a song that we were taught, and I just want to say to those who are younger, I know some of the words of this song are now, they're a little out of touch with the way we talk to each other, but they meant something to us, so I'm not trying to be offensive, I'm just telling you how this song, it affected me, and I think you're going to get where I'm going with this. There's this little song that we would sing, and it, it went like this, Jesus Loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are, what's the next word if you know it? They're precious. Now that's a word we don't use much anymore. Let's say that word all together. They are precious. They're precious in his sight. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how far off track they are, even the people who are putting them to death, no matter their background, no matter how they are to me and you, they are all precious in his sight. What if that thought that every person I interacted with, they're not just tolerated by God, but they are precious in his sight. 
And you may need to have a difficult conversation, but in the middle of having a difficult conversation, what if you can remember, hey, the person, I'm about to have this difficult conversation. Hey, just remember, they're precious in his sight. And the reason I want to have this conversation is because they matter to him. And I don't, I don't want them to be off track. They matter to God, and so they matter to me. See, the cross, at the cross, Jesus established the value of every human being on the, on the planet. At the cross, everybody became clear what everybody else is worth. This, this is why. There's no jihad in Christianity. This is why when people bring up the Crusades, which the Crusades were done, people were killed in the name of Jesus. It's how we know for a fact that the Crusades were not God's idea. They had to deliberately disobey Jesus to kill people in his name. Because Jesus was the one that said, if you're an enemy of mine, I'll kill you. I'll pray for you. I love you. That's why Jesus said to his followers, a new idea I have for you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who do evil to you. Why? Because they're, they're precious to me. They, they matter to me. These people are precious in God's sight. And therefore, they ought to be precious to me. What if that big, better idea? Every person you meet has immense value to God. They are precious to Him. What if it became every thought that led to your relational interactions? So, as we said in this series, last week we started that we don't want to just teach you something. We want to try to help you drive it home. And last week we, we sang this repetitive song that at least got in my mind. And I, I sang phrases of that all week long in my head of, God knows what's best for me, so, you know, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do what he says. I climb this mountain, my hand's wide open. I'm not controlling it. God will. Well, today, it's not going to be a song. We, I want to give you an opportunity to meditate on something. Right now, if you would, if you would find, we, we place the, these little crosses in the cup holders at Ashley Park. If you could find one of those, they're, they're different colors, everybody around you probably has one that's a little bit different. Would you, would you look in the cup holder? Would you get that right now if you haven't already found it? Now I want you to notice uh, we didn't get crosses that were like metallic or they're wooden and they're the kind of thing that people normally wear around their neck. We got these intentionally to be different because we want them to stand out in a different way, not, not as something as a piece of jewelry. We want it to be something that you see it and it's all different colors to remind that we're, we're all different. And remind you that at the cross, Jesus established the value of every person on the planet. Now, all that's true, that everybody has immense value to him. And it's at the cross that he established that. It's one thing to know that. It's, it's another thing to remember that. So what we want to do today is we want to give you a way that every time you have that cross, and for me, I'm, I'm going to carry it in my pocket. I'm going to have it in my pocket. And I, every time I feel it, I, I want to be able to have these thoughts go through me. So I want to lead you in a little bit of meditation around this idea that every person matters to God. So would you take the cross, would you hold it in your hand? And then if you would, would you, would you close your eyes and let me lead you in this little bit of meditation you can experience something. Here we go. I want you to bring to mind a person that is really irritating to you or a person you're struggling with right now. Or maybe it's a whole group of people that you just don't like, you don't understand why they are the way they are. Who is it that really is a problem to you? Bring them to your mind. Now I get that that might be an unpleasant situation and it might stir up some bad feelings in you, but 
Right now, I don't want you to focus on your feelings about that person. Now that you have them in your mind, here's the next step in this. I want you to bring somebody to your mind that fits that word precious. Maybe it's a child who's precious to you or a parent who's precious to you or a spouse who's precious to you or a friend who is precious to you, somebody who really matters to you, somebody for whom you would do anything to add value to their life. You have that person in mind? And now, I want you to imagine Jesus on the cross feeling about every person the way you feel about that person. That they are precious in his sight. And that Jesus not only feels about that person the way you feel about the person that's precious to you, he feels about it about the person that's irritating to you. That in this moment, while you're irritated or you're upset, with this person you struggle with loving, can you think about how precious they are that Jesus feels about them the way you feel about the person that's precious to you? And if you're comfortable doing it, would you say a prayer to God? Would you simply say, Heavenly Father, would you help me see this person? And you use their name there. Heavenly Father, would you help me see this person as being precious to you? Help me love them the way you do. I'll give you a moment to pray that right now. Now you can open your eyes, and here's what I want to say. Imagine if you take this and you keep it with you and you put it in your pocket or you put it somewhere you'll see it at work or you put it wherever it is at home and in the moments of conflicts or you're struggling with loving a group of people or a particular person, if you just go through that little exercise of I feel distant from them, but I know somebody's precious to me. I know what precious feels like. God feels precious about that person. How would I interact with them as somebody who's precious to God? Because at the cross, Jesus proved that every person is precious to him. And every week, we remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us at the cross. Every week, we take a meal around here called communion, and it's really a symbolic meal, like this cross was a symbol. We take symbols that Jesus set aside. So if we asked you to help us with communion, would you go right now to get ready for that? On the night that Jesus, just before he was to die the next day, Jesus was at a meal with his closest followers, and he took things that were common to them on the table, a piece of bread, and he said, this is my body. It symbolizes my body. Every time you eat it, I want you to remember me. And he took a cup and he drank it. He said, this is my blood, and every time you drink it, would you remember me? Would you remember what I'm about to do to you? I'm about to give my life for you. So for 2,000 years and for the whole time of Community Christian every Sunday, We've taken this to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so around the room today, we set up stations that you'll notice. We just notice where they are right for a minute. And at those stations today, we have people standing to serve you in just a moment. In just a moment, I'm going to release you, and I want you to go if you're a follower of Christ, and I want you to take this. And at the table, as you take these symbols to remember God's love for you, the people at the table are going to remind you this is a body of Jesus given for you. You're precious to him. This is the blood of Jesus given for you. You're precious to him. 
but so is every other person that's taking alongside you and every other person in the world. I want you to remember that. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, I can only imagine that the last few moments might have been a little weird. I hope maybe you experienced something, but you don't have to feel like you have to fake it or go to one of these stations if you, you don't want to do that. Uh, what I'd ask you to do is just take a moment and would you imagine or would you ask God to make clear to you what I believe is true about you, what Jesus said was true about you, that you're precious to him, that you matter to him, that he loves you. And would you ask him to help you know that you love him in these moments? So right now, if you want to go and partake of communion, would you stand up and let's partake together?